Malachi chapter 1, verses 6 to 14. The sins of the priests. 1-6. A son honors his father and a slave his master. Then, if I am a father, where is my honor? And if I am a master, where is my fear? Says the Lord of hosts to you, O priests, who despise my name. But you say, how have we despised your name? You are presenting defiled food upon my altar. But you say, how have we defiled you? In that you say, the table of the Lord is to be despised. But when you present the blind for sacrifice, is it not evil? And when you present the lame and sick, is it not evil? Why not offer it to your governor? Would he be pleased with you? Or would he receive you kindly? says the Lord of hosts. But now, will you not entreat God's favor that he may be gracious to us? With such an offering on your part, will he receive any of you kindly? says the Lord of hosts. Oh, that there were one among you who would shut the gates that you might not uselessly kindle fire on my altar. I am not pleased with you, says the Lord of hosts nor will I accept an offering from you. For from the rising of the sun, even to its setting, my name will be great among the nations. And in every place, incense is going to be offered to my name and a grain offering that is pure. For my name will be great among the nations, says the Lord of hosts. But you are profaning it, in that you say, the table of the Lord is defiled, and as for its fruit... Its food is to be despised. You also say, My, how tiresome it is. And you disdainfully sniff at it, says the Lord of hosts, and you bring what was taken by robbery and what is lame or sick, so you bring the offering. Should I receive that from your hand, says the Lord? But cursed be the swindler, who has a male in his flock and vows it, but sacrifices a blemished animal to the Lord. For I am a great king, says the Lord of hosts, and my name is feared among the nations. Amen. The prophet Malachi from chapter 1, verse 6 through chapter 2, verse 9, he has these two sections uh, separated by the chapter, but a clear division from chapter 2, verse 1, and now this commandment is for you, O priests. In 1, 6 to 14, he is chiding and confronting the priests for their sins in reference to the sacrifices and how they are contradicting the word of God in regards to the sacrifices offered by the people. In chapter 2, 1 to 9, he also confronts them for their sin And in this way, their sin has to do with their partiality in the commandment. That is, there are some commandments they teach and other commandments they do not teach. Chapter 2, verse 9 says, you are showing partiality in the instruction. Most likely that means, as is typical, the pleasant and smooth and sweet parts of the Bible, they were teaching those but not teaching the hard and rough and firm and stern parts of the Bible, the truth that the people needed to hear. 
Likely that's the case in chapter 2, 1 to 9. Well, in both cases, these are common sins. We might actually describe these sins in, in this way. The people, in reference to the people and the priests. And in our day, let's say, the people and the pastors. That is, the people will have a view of the priests that's called sacerdotalism. Sacerdotalism, meaning that because they hold the office of priest, therefore, immediately and automatically, everything they do is to be honored, it is to be followed, it is to be obeyed, because they hold the office. That's one of the sins. And in this case, when the priests say it's okay to offer defiled food, the people go along with it, and the priests and the people are both sinning. The people follow it. Another sin, which is likely the case in chapter 2, 1 to 9, has to do with the priests softening the message, softening the truth. And this also is a temptation, both for the priests and for the people, to soften the message so that they are only preaching sugar and candy, and they are never preaching vegetables and meat. They're always preaching sugary things. And the people love this. They want the priest to say, peace, peace, everything's fine, no worries. You don't have to repent of anything. Don't turn away from any sin. Everything is just fine. The priests like it because if they do that, they get more people and more money. The people like it because it helps them believe, superficially, it helps them believe that their relationship with God is okay. The priest said so. I'm fine, and I don't have to worry about the guilt of my sins. It's okay. It's all taken care of. God will handle it because God is a God of grace. Now, these are the twin sins that are often joined by the people and the priests. And many times the priests are leading the way to it. That's why the prophet has to confront it. He confronts the priests here. Let's see the first part, 1, 6 to 14. Verse 6, he illustrates with a couple of examples. A son honors his father and a slave his master. In day-to-day life, in the majority of cases, sons honor father. Slaves honor or fear their masters. This happens on a day-to-day basis. Everybody knows the way life works. Everybody knows how it ought to be. But in this case, they don't know. He says, then if I am a father, where is my honor? And if I am a master, where is my fear? Isn't God also a father? We pray our father who is in heaven, how would be your name, right? We pray our Father, so he is a father to us. And then is he not our master? Jude 4 says our only master and Lord, Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ is our master. We owe utmost obedience to him. We are his slaves, he is our master. So if that's the case, that God is the heavenly Father, and the heavenly master, 
What about his honor and what about his fear? Why is it that people are happy to give honor and fear to men, to one another, but not to God? And who's speaking, says the Lord of hosts, the Lord of hosts. Several times in this section, it says Lord of hosts. When God says that, he's reminding the people that he has the omnipotent armies of heaven that he can send and he can send them to destroy. All of his destroying angels can be sent forth and wipe out these people instantly. They better repent. They better understand the righteous indignation of God. That's the point when he reminds them of him being the Lord of hosts. Then we see he confronts the priests. O priests who despise my name. He addresses the priests here, just as he does in chapter 2, verse 1. O priests. And why so the priests? Because they are the leaders. James 3, 1. Let many of you, my brethren, not become teachers, for as such we shall incur a stricter judgment. 1 Timothy 4.16 Pay close attention to yourself and to your teaching, for as you do this, you will ensure salvation both for yourself and for those who hear you. So the leaders, the religious leaders, they have to be confronted. They must be confronted when they sin. They're not always right. If they ever contradict the Bible, then they are wrong. As Peter said, the apostles say in Acts 4, 19 and 5, 21, 5, 29, excuse me, Acts 5, 29, we ought to obey God rather than men. That's what every man should say whenever another man tempts him to contradict God. That's why this is addressed to the priests, because the priests... They should know this, they should know better, and they should not be misleading the people. The people should know better and not follow the priests for this reason. It says here, who despise my name. The priests are despising the name of the Lord. We will see in the book of Malachi, this word name appears nine times throughout the book of Malachi, the short book. Because God's name, his honor, his reputation is in the balance here. The priests don't care about the name of the Lord. They don't care about the honor and the glory of God. They just care about their own glory, their man glory that they get from the people. That's all that they care. But meantime, if they are focused, if they are consumed, obsessed with their own glory, their own name, inevitably they will despise God's name. But the priests, this is the way obstinate people are, the way stubborn, resistant people are. But you say, verse 6, but you say, God says through the prophet, how have we despised your name? They are disputing God. God makes an assertion and they doubt the statements, assertions, indictments of God. They doubt it, as they did in chapter 1, 1 to 5. 
God said in one verse two, I have loved you. But you say, how have you loved us? Whenever God speaks, we should immediately listen and obey. No doubting, no wondering, no delaying even, no delay. But this is what they do. How have we despised your name? They should have known that it's possible to do that daily, many times every day. And yet, they challenge it. No, that couldn't be us. That couldn't be us. Verse 7, so God explains, You are presenting defiled food upon my altar. When defiled food, polluted food, unclean food is put or sacrifices are put on the altar of God, then that's a defilement of the name of God and the altar of God, the ministry of God. It's bringing shame to the name of the Lord when defiled food is put on the altar of God, verse 7. That's what they are doing in fact. But you say, how have we defiled you? Now, when they say that, here they are resisting again. They're being spiteful to God. How have we defiled you? When God says defiled food, they should know what that means. He's going to explain because they have resisted. He's going to explain in verse 8, verse 8 and also in verses 13 and 14. He'll explain what he means by defiled. But the priests who know the law, they already know the answer, yet they pretend they don't know what he's talking about. Isn't that what people do when they're confronted with sin? What? What'd you say? I didn't know that. No, I didn't say that. No, I didn't do that. Yes, you did do that. Yes, you did say that. And that's what's happening here. In that you say, God explains, verse 7, in that you say, the table of the Lord is to be despised. Now, first he's addressing their doctrine, their teaching. Because this, when they say, the table of the Lord is to be despised, they have to be telling this, teaching this to the people. When the worshipers come with their sacrifices, they are explaining to the worshipers what is acceptable and what is unacceptable. And actually, even in advance, in advance of them coming, they should be explaining this. What is acceptable? What is unacceptable? And they have the audacity to say, the table of the Lord is to be despised. It's okay. It's right. It's good to despise the table of the Lord. See, God's not so picky. That's their theology. God isn't particular. He's not concerned with details. He doesn't care about how you do it. He just cares about your heart. And since your heart is right, and we all know your heart's right, it doesn't matter how you do it. So you can despise the table of the Lord. You can do it as you wish or as we instruct you to do. Verse 8. But when you present the blind for sacrifice, is it not evil? And when you present the lame and sick, is it not evil? 
This is now what they're teaching. This is the content of their teaching. The summary of their teaching is seven in verse seven. The content of their teaching, the details, they were telling the people, blind animals, no problem. Lame animals, no problem. Sick animals, no problem. Verse 13, animals stolen in robbery, no problem. The lame or the sick, no problem. Verse 14, even the vowed animals that end up not being offered, but a blemished animal instead. So no problem. No problem. Go ahead. That's what the priests are telling the people. But God's saying it's evil. That's another problem. If we were to identify the sins of people, people will say it's not evil. It's one of those four-letter words that they don't want us to use to them, but they are happy to use all of the profane, vulgar four-letter words against us and against God. But evil, that is, they'll look at their sin and they'll say, no, no, I'm not evil. That's not evil. You can't say I'm evil. I'm not like a mass murderer. Don't call me evil. But the Bible says this is evil. Whatever is contrary to the word of God, by definition, is evil. Because the word of God is good, Conformity to it is good, so whatever is contradicting it is evil, even when the sinner denies it. We have to tell him, you don't understand evil. You don't understand sin. It is evil. In this case, we're not dealing with sexual sin. We're not dealing with idolatry. We're not dealing with murder. We're dealing with a wrong sacrifice, a wrong animal. And look at how appalling it is. eight. Why not offer it to your governor? Would he be pleased with you or would he receive you kindly, says the Lord of hosts? Listen, the governor, you want to be friendly with the governor? Will you give to your governor a sick animal? Will you give to him a lame animal? Will you give to him a blind animal? Will you steal and then give to the governor? Will you do these kinds of things to your governor? No, you wouldn't show your face to the governor that way. You wouldn't show your face at all. You would bring the best of your animals to your governor and you would comb your hair, you would take a shower, you would wear your best clothing, And then you would present your sacrifices, your offerings to the governor. That's the way you would do it. But what about the Lord? The governor's not going to take your lame animals. He's going to be offended by it. If the governor is going to be offended, what about God? Anybody ask God? Verse 9, speaking of asking God, verse 9. But now, will you not entreat God's favor? Entreat, beg for, petition for God's favor, His grace, that He may be gracious to us. With such an offering on your part, will He receive any of you kindly, says the Lord of hosts? 
Instead, plead for the favor, the mercy of God. Go to God pleading for him to be gracious. And those who will go to him sincerely are only those who have faith and repentance. Only faith and repentance would cause somebody to truly, sincerely entreat the favor of God. And then, with such an offering on your part, will he receive any of you kindly? Does God receive sinners who are brazenly, blatantly, openly, stubbornly acting contrary to his holy word? How can one who is acting contrary to his holy word expect to receive any of the grace of God? He already said what to do. He already said how to do it. Why do the opposite? Verse 10, instead of the opposite, what should be done? This is God through the prophet. Oh, that there were one among you who would shut the gates, that you might not uselessly kindle fire on my altar. I am not pleased with you, says the Lord of hosts, nor will I accept an offering from you. When this kind of sin is happening in the house of God, God longs for a courageous man to stand in the gap. He longs for a courageous man to stand up and put an end to it and say, no more of this, none of this, anymore, stop it. That's the action of shutting the gates or shutting the doors. Don't let the people come and bring the worthless, defiled offerings. Don't worship God. If this is what you're going to do, don't go and worship God. Just stay at home. Go to the ball field. Go do something else, but don't worship God. That's what's being stopped here, or the longing for it to be stopped here, because that which is offered is useless, verse 10. And God is unpleased with it, he says. No more. He will, will not accept an offering of that sort. Just don't give it. Verse 11. Remember, he has been addressing the Hebrew nation, the Jews. As he said in chapter 1, 1 to 5, Jacob I loved, but Esau I hated. And he loved not only Jacob, the man, the patriarch, but also Jacob's descendants. So now he's, now he is humbling them in verses 11 to 14 in this way. For from the rising of the sun, even to its setting, my name will be great among the nations. And in every place, incense is going to be offered to my name and a grain offering that is pure, for my name will be great among the nations, says the Lord of hosts. In verses 11 and 14, he mentions the nations. If Israel, if the Jews, if the Hebrew nation will not obey God, God will preach the gospel abroad, and the Gentiles, some of the Gentiles, they will believe it. And then the Jews will be ashamed. 
and they will be made jealous. Romans 11, 11 to 32. They'll be made jealous. That's what Malachi is doing. He's making them jealous in 1.11 by saying, if you don't do it, I will make sure that in the nations they do it. This phrase may be taken in two ways. Verse 11, for, for from the rising of the sun even to its setting. Some have taken it to mean all day long, all day and all night long. However, a better way to take it would be to understand it as being from one end of the earth to the other end of the earth. That is from east and west, from east and west, all over the world, the nations all over the world, they will believe in the gospel. My name will be great, he says, among the nations. This is also why when Christ and the apostles preached and they were making reference to the nations, the Jews should not have been upset at Christ and the apostles. They should not have been upset. Malachi, Isaiah, David, Jeremiah, Ezekiel, they are constantly telling the Jews that God desires for his name to be worshipped, to be known among the nations. They should not have been upset. Sometimes, or many times they were. Okay, now in verse 11, he uses a couple of sacrificial words. He says, incense and grain offering. To my name, my name will be great, offered to my name, for my name will be great among the nations, says the Lord of hosts. His honor, his glory spread abroad. And the sacrificial terms are incense and grain offering. Well, when they hear the name of the Lord, and they believe in the name of the Lord, the gospel, then it says the nations are going to offer incense and grain offering. Does he mean literal incense and literal grain offering? Or does he mean spiritual incense, spiritual grain offering? We'll see he means it spiritually. Yes, it's true that some Gentiles throughout the Old Testament believed in the gospel and some of them lived in the land of Israel and did this literally. But he is indicating in verse 11 and in verse 14 that it's greater than that. It's not merely Gentiles who live in the land of Israel. It is God's name worshipped abroad where there is no temple. So that's how we have to take these sacrificial words in a spiritual way. And we will seek to prove that after we summarize this passage. Verse 12. He returns to confronting their defilement. But you are profaning it in that you say, the table of the Lord is defiled and as for its fruit, its food is to be Despise. This we find as a summary of verses 6 to 8. This is what they've been preaching. No doubt. They never deny the veracity of the words. 
they deny the application to themselves, which is the common problem. Many people will admit to what the Bible says, but when they are pressed on the matter of their sin, they'll say, well, that doesn't apply to me. You don't understand it correctly. But at least here so far, the people are not confronting Malachi's word that way. They do know that that's what they have been saying. So they're not denying what they have said. Okay, a further indictment. Verse 13. You also say, My, how tiresome it is. They are wearied. They are burdened. The commandments of God are a heavy load to them. The commandments of God a heavy load. That's why they say, my, how tiresome it is. I don't want to do the word of God. He's making it too difficult. That's too hard. Yes, people will say, that's hard. Further, and you disdainfully sniff at it, says the Lord of hosts. The Offerings, when they are burnt, when they are burning on the altar with the fire, and even the incense with the fire, it's supposed to be a soothing aroma. When the meat is cooking and when the incense is burning in the fire, the incense especially is a fragrant aroma. Instead of these fragrances appealing to the people, being pleasing to the people, they disdainfully sniff at it. They despise it and they go like that, like it's a a horrible smell, some bad smell. Not only that, you bring what was taken by robbery and what is lame or sick, so you bring the offering. Isn't the sacrifice by definition something that you own, something that you raised, something that you spent your time and money growing, a sacrifice? So it's a sacrifice in that, that which you would normally enjoy for yourself and your family, you're not going to enjoy it, but you're going to present it to the Lord because you're showing your faith in the gospel, faith in the Lord, and you want Him to be glorified by obeying his commandments. When we offer the sacrifice, we sacrifice that which we could eat ourselves. But robbery, lame animals, and sick animals, how, is, how are they sacrificial? By definition, they are not sacrificial. They're the very opposite. So they're using this word sacrifice or offering, but they're not using it in God's way, in God's meaning. This is an example, many examples in the scriptures of the false teachers hijacking, distorting biblical words with an unbiblical meaning. Biblical words with an unbiblical meaning. They bring the offering and they say, yeah, this is acceptable. God will take it. It's okay to despise the Lord and also, since he's so gracious, he'll still receive you. 
But God says, should I receive that from your hand? Should I receive that from your hand? Why are we treating God this way? Why are we dishonoring the name of God? Instead, verse 14, God will not receive it. Instead, he pronounces a curse. But cursed be the swindler who has a male in his flock. Many times, males were prescribed. The male uh, animal was to be put on the altar. Not exclusively, but many times. In this case, the male is in the flock. The male is vowed. So the worshiper makes a vow before the Lord, an oath before the Lord. He swears before the Lord that I will offer this male in my flock. In due time, I will offer this male in my flock to you, Lord. That's the vow. But when one doesn't keep the vow, when he breaks his oath, he deserves a curse. And that's why the curse is here. But cursed be the swindler who has a male in his flock and vows it, but sacrifices a blemished animal to the Lord. For I am a great king. The swindler. What's a swindler? A swindler is a cheater. He steals. He cheats. He deceives people. That's a swindler. A swindler is a cheater. And the cheater is cheating or robbing God, pretending to do so, thinking he can do so, when really he cannot do so successfully. And why can he not do it successfully? Verse 14, for I am a great king. How are you going to get away with swindling the great king? The king who knows what all is happening in his kingdom. The king of kings and lord of lords. And my name is feared among the nations. He is a great king, just as he said in 111, my name will be great among the nations. And why is it? Because even though the Jews will not fear God, the Gentiles will. The Gentiles will honor the name of the Lord. Whenever the Jews refuse to do it, God will raise up Gentiles who will do it. Now, this is not entirely hopeless in the book of Malachi because in Malachi 3.16, some of the Jews, they also did fear the Lord after this rebuke from the prophet. 3.16, Then those who feared the Lord spoke to one another, and the Lord gave attention and heard it. And a book of remembrance was written before him for those who fear the Lord and who esteem his name. 3.16. So, some Jews, some Gentiles. When Jews refuse, God will raise up Gentiles who will fear the name of the Lord. Now, some cross-references on God's... Uh, we'll start at verse 6. Uh, one or two references for each of these on God being Father. You know, there is a false doctrine that says the 
that God in the New Testament is Father, but in the Old Testament, He's a judge. He's a judge in the Old because He's wrathful, He punishes, He's really mean, quick-tempered in the Old Testament. But in the New Testament, He's a loving Father and more like uh, an indulgent grandfather. God in the New Testament is an indulgent grandfather who has a pocket full of candy, always ready and willing, even to the disobedient grandchildren, to give them the candy. That's the way people look at God in the New Testament. But it says this in the Old Testament. Old Testament, Isaiah 63, 16. 63, 16. For you are our father, though Abraham does not know us and Israel does not recognize us. You, O Lord, are our father. Our redeemer from of old is your name. The people pray and call God our father twice right there in verse 16. 64, verse 8, 64, 8. But now, O Lord, you are our father. We are the clay and you are potter, and all of us are the work of your hand. God is a father in the Old Testament. The people even know it. In fact, most likely, since this is the place where the phrase, our father, occurs in Isaiah 63 and 64, when the Lord taught the Lord's Prayer in Matthew 6, 9 to 13, and he said, pray then in this way, say, our Father who is in heaven. That phrase, our Father, was not coined in Matthew chapter 6. It already existed right here in Isaiah. And in fact, in our Bibles, that phrase, our Father, could be all capitalized, taken from these passages in Isaiah. The God of the Old Testament, a loving and judicious Father, who deserved to be honored. Well, how about Christ being our master? Christ being our master. The book of Colossians. Let's go to the book of Colossians. Colossians 4, verse 1. Colossians 4, 1. Masters, grant to your slaves justice and fairness, knowing that you too have a master in heaven. We have, this, the masters have a master in heaven. And Jude 4 says, our only master and Lord Jesus Christ. These prove that in the Old Testament, he's also a father. In the New Testament, he is also a master who deserves our fear. And that word fear occurs many times also in the book of Malachi, to fear the Lord, as it does in 1 verse 6. Yours may say respect or some other synonym, but it is literally the word fear in Malachi 1 6. So, we must also fear the Lord, the Lord Jesus. Uh, 
Then, in reference to the defilement that they should have known, this is a case of James 4.17. Therefore, to one who knows the right thing to do and does not do it, to him it is sin. James 4.17. That's in Malachi 1, 7, and 8. They are claiming they don't know what Malachi is talking about. What are you talking about, Malachi? When it was made clear, Deuteronomy Deuteronomy 15, 21. Deuteronomy 15 and verse 21. But if it has any defect, such as lameness or blindness or any serious defect, you shall not sacrifice it to the Lord your God. Nothing unclear about that. They certainly knew that. Leviticus 22. Leviticus 22, 17 to 25. 22, 17. Then the Lord spoke to Moses, saying, Speak to Aaron and to his sons and to all the sons of Israel and say to them, When any man of the house of Israel or of the aliens in Israel who presents his offering, whether it is any of their votive or any of their freewill offerings, which they present to the Lord for a burnt offering, for you to be accepted, it must be a male without defect from the cattle, the sheep, or the goats. Whatever has a defect you shall not offer, for it will not be accepted for you. And when a man offers a sacrifice of peace offerings to the Lord to fulfill a special vow or for a freewill offering of the herd or of the flock, it must be perfect to be accepted. There shall be no defect in it. Those that are blind or fractured or maimed or having a running sore or eczema or scabs, you shall not offer to the Lord nor make of them an offering by fire on the altar to the Lord. In respect to an ox or a lamb which has an overgrown or stunted member, you may present it for a freewill offering, but for a vow it shall not be accepted. Also anything with its testicles bruised or crushed or torn or cut, you shall not offer to the Lord or sacrifice in your land. Nor shall you accept any such from the hand of a foreigner for offering as the food of your God. For their corruption is in them. They have a defect. They shall not be accepted for you. The guilt is greater when, when you know what the right thing to do and then don't do it. And make excuses and sugarcoat or sweep under the rug the actual sin. Then in verse 9, he calls on them to plead with the Lord, to petition or to entreat the Lord. The book of Joel, Joel chapter 2, Daniel, Hosea, Joel. Joel 2, 
2, verse 12. 2, 12 to 14. Yet even now, declares the Lord, return to me with all your heart, and with fasting and weeping and mourning, and rend your heart and not your garments. Now return to the Lord your God, for he is gracious and compassionate, slow to anger, abounding in loving kindness and relenting of evil. Who knows whether he will not turn and relent and leave a blessing behind him, even a grain offering and a drink offering for the Lord your God. He says, tear your heart, rend your heart, not your garments. Don't put on a show. Be humble and call upon the Lord. Repent. This is what actually the in the parable of the Pharisee and the tax collector, the tax collector did this. Luke 18, 9 to 14. Luke 18, 9 to 14. We read verses 13 and 14 on the tax collector. His proper appeal or entreaty to God. But the tax collector, 1813 of Luke, standing some distance away was even unwilling to lift up his eyes to heaven, but was beating his breast saying, God, be merciful to me, the sinner. I tell you, this man went down to his house justified rather than the other. For everyone who exalts himself shall be humbled, but he who humbles himself shall be exalted. Then what about the matter of closing the gates, shutting the gates, when people are falsely worshiping, confronting that false worship by preventing them from worship. How about that? For that, we may find a couple of examples. John chapter 2. Both of these are of our Lord Christ. He did this twice in his ministry. John 2, 13 to 17. John 2, 13. And the Passover of the Jews was at hand, and Jesus went up to Jerusalem, and he found in the temple those who were selling oxen and sheep and doves, and the money changers seated. And he made a scourge of cords and drove them all out of the temple with the sheep and the oxen, and he poured out the coins of the money changers and overturned their tables. And to those who were selling the doves, he said, Take these things away. Stop making my father's house a house of merchandise. His disciples remember that it was written, zeal for your house will consume me. So Christ stopped the sin happening in the temple. Another place we find is in Mark 11. Mark 11:15 to 18. Mark 11:15. And they came to Jerusalem, and he entered the temple and began to cast out those who were buying and selling in the temple and overturned the tables of the money changers and the seats of those who were selling doves. And he would not permit anyone to carry goods through the temple. He would not permit anyone to carry goods through the temple. And he began to teach and say to them, is it not written, My house shall be called a house of prayer for all the nations? But you have made it a robber's den. And the chief priests and the scribes heard this and began seeking how to destroy him, for they were afraid of him, for all the multitude was astonished at his teaching. In terms of our personal 
worship, personal worship. We read how Christ prevented others from worshiping. What about our personal worship? Matthew 5, 23. This is what the people should have done in the days of Malachi. Matthew 5, 23. Whenever they knew that there was sin that needed to be resolved, they did not worship. They handled the unresolved sin. 5.23 of Matthew. If therefore you are presenting your offering at the altar and there remember that your brother has something against you, leave your offering there before the altar and go your way. First, be reconciled to your brother and then come and present your offering. What about in verse 11, Malachi 1.11, we said spiritual incense, spiritual grain offering. How so? Well, even in the Old Testament, the physical, the literal, they were symbolic of the spiritual. Yes, even in the Old Testament. Psalm 141 Psalm 141, 2. Psalm 141 and verse 2. May my prayer be counted as incense before you, the lifting up of my hands as the evening offering. Prayer and the lifting up of hands as incense and offering. Hebrews 13, Hebrews 13, 15, and 16. Hebrews 13, 15. Through him then, let us continually offer up a sacrifice of praise to God. That is the fruit of lips that give thanks to his name. And do not neglect doing good and sharing, for with such sacrifices, God is pleased. Sacrifice of praise, the fruit of lips. Verse 16, doing good and sharing with such sacrifices, God is pleased. And also Revelation 5, verse 8. Revelation 5, 8. And when he had taken the book, the four living creatures and the 24 elders fell down before the Lamb, having each one a harp and golden bowls full of incense, which are the prayers of the saints. In this way, Malachi is preaching that the people in the nations, they will offer spiritual sacrifices to God and God will accept them. He'll be pleased with them, but not the literal sacrifices that are in disobedience to his word. Malachi 1.13, Malachi 1.13, when they say, my, how tiresome it is, and disdainfully sniff at it, they consider the commandments of God a burden. The commandments of God they consider a burden. They should have learned 
from David. Because David did not consider the commandments of God a burden. He said in Psalm 119, he says this several times. We'll see 119.16. I shall delight in your statutes. I shall not forget your word. He says delight, and he says it several times in Psalm 119. He delights in it. 119, 119.11. I have inherited your testimonies forever, for they are the joy of my heart. The joy of my heart. The testimonies or the words, the laws, the commandments of God. That's the way they should have looked at God's commandments. Jesus says, Matthew eleven twenty eight, Matthew eleven twenty eight to 30. Come to me, all who are weary and heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and humble in heart, and you shall find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy, and my load is light. Jesus says it's the opposite. And how is that so? If one has a new heart, the commandments of God, the laws of God are not burdensome. 1 John 5, 3. 1 John 5, 3. For this is the love of God, that we keep his commandments, and his commandments are not burdensome. His commandments are not burdensome. How about also Malachi 1.14 when he says, But cursed be the swindler who has a male in his flock and vows it, but sacrifices a blemished animal to the Lord, for I am a great king, says the Lord of hosts, and my name is feared among the nations. As for the presentation of these in a vow, the presentation of these offerings in a vow, how seriously does God take vows? Numbers 30. Numbers 30. The whole chapter is devoted to this subject. We'll read verses 1 and 2 where we find the gist of the chapter. Verses 1 and 2. Numbers chapter 30, verse 1. Then Moses spoke to the heads of the tribes of the sons of Israel, saying, This is the word which the Lord has commanded. If a man makes a vow to the Lord or takes an oath to bind himself with a binding obligation, he shall not violate his word. He shall do according to all that proceeds out of his mouth. It ought to be as he vowed. Ecclesiastes 5, Ecclesiastes 5, 1 to 7. Ecclesiastes 5, 1 to 7. We read verses 4 and 5. Ecclesiastes 5, verse 4. When you make a vow to God, do not be late in paying it, 
for he takes no delight in fools. Pay what you vow. It is better that you should not vow than that you should vow and not pay. If we vow, we ought to pay. Otherwise, don't vow. And God will say, it's okay. You don't have to vow. But when you do vow, you better pay back whatever you vowed to God. What about this matter of being a swindler? Malachi, in the book of Malachi, chapter 3. Cheating God. Cheating God. Malachi 3, 7 to 12. Malachi 3, 7. From the days of your fathers, you have turned aside from my statutes and have not kept them. Return to me and I will return to you, says the Lord of hosts. But you say, how shall we return? Will a man rob God? Yet you are robbing me. But you say, how have we robbed you? In tithes and contributions. You are cursed with a curse, for you are robbing me, the whole nation of you. Bring the whole tithe into the storehouse so that there may be food in my house. And test me now in this, says the Lord of hosts. If I will not open for you the windows of heaven and pour out for you a blessing until there is no more need, then I will rebuke the devourer for you so that it may not destroy the fruits of the ground. Nor will your vine in the field cast its grapes, says the Lord of hosts. And all the nations will call you blessed for you shall be a delightful land, says the Lord of hosts. They were robbing God or swindling God by not presenting their tithes and contributions. That which is owed to God must be given to him. If it's not given to him, then it is robbery. And the Ten Commandments say, you shall not Steal. They were thieves, keeping to themselves what belonged to God. He who has ears to hear, let him hear what the Spirit says. Amen.